Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. Well, as you know, we typically do expository teaching, taking a passage of Scripture and going through it, looking at it verse by verse. However, this time of year, um, month of January, many churches observe Sanctity of Life Sunday. Not all churches do. Not all evangelical churches do. But many churches do because many of us believe that this is a subject that is so vitally important, we need to keep it in view. Um, In Jeremiah chapter 1, we have one of the scriptures that will be referenced later. But Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God says to Jeremiah that he had a relationship with Jeremiah before forming Jeremiah in the womb. Now, pro-lifers like me like to hold that up and say, see, God cares about children even before they're born. But I want to point out to you that if you read this as it is written, God doesn't just care about children before they're born. God cares about children before they're conceived. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is not just a statement about pre-born children. This is a statement about our God. God who is not bound by time. And I want you to understand that the reason why abortion is a very serious issue that we need to understand is because of what God says about human life. But I also want you to understand that that same God loved the world so much that he gave his son to save us. And sometimes people are afraid to talk about abortion because they don't want to upset anybody, they don't want to... They don't want to say something that might be hurtful to somebody or bring up bad memories or cause people to feel guilty. But I want to submit to you that it is extremely unkind to fail to talk about something that is so serious. It is very unkind not to give people a solution for the guilt that many feel. When I've spoken about abortion in a church where you don't speak about abortion. I was flooded with women who came to me and said, thank you so much. Thank you, I've needed to hear this for years. Thank you, I had an abortion. 
One of them said, I wanted to stand on the pew and shout amen, but I didn't want to embarrass my family. Now why? Why would she say that? Because week after week, month after month, the subject of abortion was considered so delicate that nobody would address it even delicately. That's a tragedy. And that's why we're talking about it this morning. Abortion is real. It's happening all across our country. It happens right here in our state, in our community. And there are people in churches who've had abortion and who don't know how to talk about it and don't know how to think about it and don't know how to find forgiveness and healing. And let me tell you, forgiveness and healing are offered in Jesus Christ. God offers forgiveness to sinners. Jesus tells the story of two men who went to pray, and one said, God, I thank you that I'm not as other men. I do this and this and this and this and this, and I don't do this, this, and this. The other man said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said it was that second man who went home justified. So, what matters is not what the politicians say. What matters is not what celebrities say. What matters is not what preachers like me say. What matters is what God says. And so in the 1970s, my wife and I did a Bible study concerning abortion, which has been used by many organizations since. We haven't copyrighted it. We've just said, please spread the word. All we're doing is looking in a systematic way at some of the things God says about this subject. Let me give you seven basic statements concerning abortion and some scripture that you can look at in order to back it up. Number one, God is the giver of human life. And I would submit to you that in scripture, conception, not birth, is referenced as the point at which God gives life. Genesis 4.1, the Lord gives Cain to Eve. In Genesis 29.31, the Lord opens Leah's womb. In Genesis 30, 22 through 23, God enables Rachel to conceive. In Ruth 4.13, the Lord gives Ruth her conception. Ruth 4.13. In Psalm 127.3, God states that children are blessings from the Lord. Children are not burdens that we bring on ourselves. A reward from the Lord is the way that God describes them. In Exodus 21, verses 22 through 24, God commands punishment for those who harm unborn life. Now, this passage, I will say, here's truth in advertising. Some people look at this passage and they say, no, that's not what that means. Well, let me tell you, I've looked at this passage and looked at this passage and prayerfully and studiously looked at this passage, and I absolutely stand by the historically orthodox interpretation of this passage, which is when it refers to injury, it's referring to the child. Because if you look at the context, if it was the woman who was injured, 
you wouldn't need this law. If it was the woman whose injury was in view, then you wouldn't have to say eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. That was already established. The question is, what if it causes her to give birth prematurely and there's injury? If there's no injury, okay. But if there's injury, the person who caused the premature birth is to be punished to the degree that they inflicted injury upon that child that was born prematurely, including life for life. So the only way you can say, no, that refers to the woman, is if you deliberately ignore the fact that this verse occurs in a larger context in which women were protected. So, God is the giver of human life. Second point, God interacts with the unborn. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, shows that God has an intimate role in the formation of humans. And even as he forms them, he has foreordained their lives. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. Let me read to you from that. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Furthermore, God views the unborn child as a spiritual being. The unborn child has a sinful nature, Psalm 51.5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. God calls his servants while yet in the womb. Galatians 1.15, Luke 1.15, Isaiah 44, 1 and 2, Isaiah 49, 1 and 5, and Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and 5. We read from Jeremiah 1 a few moments ago. God, having his eternal perspective, sees the unborn human whom he loves in the context of his or her entire life. Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4, and Judges chapter 13, verses 5 through 7. Notice that in the passage from Judges, which is talking about the birth of a child, the mother is told that because he is going to be a Nazarite after he's born, she is to not consume any fermented drink, any wine, or eat anything unclean, even while she's carrying the child. Why? Because what she consumes is having an impact on the child in the womb. And God says, I've already set him apart. But it doesn't begin at birth. It's already underway in the womb. God, in fact, sometimes sees the unborn child in the context of an entire race that will spring from that child. Genesis 25, verses 21 through 24, and Hosea chapter 12, verse 3. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. And the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? 
So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. God sees not just what's happening right now. God sees the generations to come. Third major point, God began his journey on earth as a man at conception. This is the ultimate statement of when God views men as becoming human. Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 46. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. Now you know those scriptures. We studied them at Christmas time. But think about the fact that God became a little tiny child in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And when Mary went to see her relative, John the Baptist, who was in his mother's womb, jumped for joy because he was, even then, in a spiritual state, relationship with God the Father, and by the Holy Spirit, he recognized the presence of the Messiah from within the womb. How's that possible? Because God was there by his spirit at work in John the Baptist's life before he was born. God is the one who gives life. God is the one who knits us together in our mother's womb. God is the one who ordains our days. And we need to recognize that when we're talking about this subject, we're talking about holy things. God forbids the taking of innocent human life. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 says, you shall not murder. Human life is valued because it reflects God's image. Genesis 1, 26, Genesis 5, 1 and 2. God has final authority over life and death. Deuteronomy 32, verses 39 through 41, and 1 Samuel 2, 6. This is what God says. See now that I myself am he. There is no God beside me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal and no one can deliver out of my hand. I lift my hand to heaven and declare as surely as I live forever. When I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand grasps it in judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. When people decide that they are going to violate God's law and take matters into their own hands and kill others, God not only says do not commit murder, but God promises vengeance on those who do. Well, what about the hard cases? First, low social status does not make us less valuable in God's eyes. God demands justice for the poor, no less than the rich, which were fashioned by him from the womb. Job chapter 31, verses 13 through 23. Deficient physical status 
does not make us less valuable in God's eyes. God designs those with handicaps and sometimes allows deficiencies into our lives. Exodus 4, 11, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. When our oldest child was born with multiple handicaps, this was a verse that God used to speak to us very powerfully. The Lord said to Moses, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? You see, God doesn't agree with the prosperity preachers who say that if anything like that happens, it's just the devil. Okay? God says, no. I'm the one who makes blind people. And I'm the one who makes them blind. I'm the one who makes deaf people, and I'm the one who makes them deaf. I'm the one who makes the lame, and I make them lame. We don't like that. But that's what God says. God takes responsibility for his creation, and we are charged with valuing all life, even as God does. The Apostle Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Third point under this hard cases subject. Misery does not justify abortion. Even though Jeremiah wished that his mother's womb had been his grave, God's plans for him, even while he was unborn, were entirely different. Jeremiah 20, verses 14 through 18, compared with what we looked at earlier in Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and 5. Jeremiah wished he'd been stillborn, but Jeremiah was wrong. God had a plan for his life. And he was one of the great heroes of the faith. Job, the once a loved and respected husband and father of great wealth and community acclaim, came to a point of cursing the day of his birth and the night of his conception. But that didn't alter God's view of him. Look at Job 3.3. Jesus was accused of being illegitimate by many in his day. But obviously God's perspective is different. John chapter 8 Verses 19 and 41. So, main point number six. God's reaction to the shedding of innocent blood is wrath. Deuteronomy 27, 25. 2 Kings 24, 2 through 4. Psalm 106, verses 38 through 45. Joel, chapter 3, verse 19. And Jonah, chapter 1. Verse 14, God's reaction to the shedding of innocent blood is wrath. Point number seven, God demands that his people become involved in the fight against injustice, particularly the unjust taking of life. First of all, our responsibility is to warn a wicked society of the consequences of its evil ways. Ezekiel chapter 3, 
verses 17 through 19. Our responsibility is to seek the deliverance of those who are being led away to death. Pretended ignorance is no excuse. Proverbs 24, verses 11 through 12 says, Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? But our responsibility is also to provide alternatives that demonstrate the love of God. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Our responsibility is also to proclaim the good news of the opportunity for forgiveness and a new beginning, whatever our past sins may be. John 3, 16 and 17, Titus 3, chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. 1 John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, and 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We live in a culture that doesn't want to think about what's going on. Those who know Jesus Christ have a solution. Whether it's for a person who's pregnant and doesn't know what to do, and where to turn, and how to find help, or whether it's for someone who's had an abortion and is now racked with guilt, or someone who helped facilitate an abortion. God offers grace and mercy, forgiveness and cleansing, a new beginning, regardless of what our sin is. But folks, we'll never receive that until we come confessing our sins. I want to implore you not to be unclear about this. Some people say, well, you know, it's a, it, there's a, a legitimate medical question. There is no medical question. The child that's in the womb is a child, even if you want to call it by some other name. You may want to use another term for it, but it's still a baby. And therefore, it needs to be protected. And to pretend otherwise, to act as if it's just part of the mother, it's not part of the mother. The small intestine is part of the mother. The liver is part of the mother. The baby in her womb has its own DNA, its own fingerprints, its own heartbeat, and we've got to take this seriously because we live in a culture that just doesn't want to know. And I've talked with so many women who say, I wish somebody told me the truth years ago because I was lied to. I was told it was just a clump of cells. I was told it was undifferentiated tissue, which is a lie. I, I was told that it was, it was just the, the product of conception. That's the term they used. Well, it is the product of conception. But the product of conception is a human being. And if you put together all the people who have died in Iraq and Afghanistan, in those conflicts, it doesn't add up 
to a fraction of the number that are killed every year in this country through abortion. So people who say, I'm for peace and I'm against war, but I'm pro-choice, are not being honest. And politicians who say, well, it's a personal decision, we just have to leave this with the mother, are not being honest. Abortion is not a private matter because it involves another human being. And therefore, we need to take it seriously, and we need to stand against it, and we need to pray for God to bring repentance in this land. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.